0: Hey, everybody, this is Vincent H. O'Neill, and you're listening to Legends of Tabletop.
1: welcome everybody uh, we're up to another amazing episode we've got Vincent H O'Neill with
0: us tonight how's it going sir going great as always thank you so much for having me
1: right, thanks for coming on um, I should say I, I was told to point this out that I should say that this is the live stream for the podcast so people know that there is a podcast associated with this if they're only catching this on YouTube so be forewarned uh, if you only have a couple of minutes to kind of like dip in. Uh, we have this will be released as a, as an MP three as well. So I'll have to. Uh, I guess I should probably type something up so I can kind of like record something, maybe or whatever, kind of smooth this awkward transition.
0: Yeah, that sounds like too much trouble to me. Yeah, there's an awful lot of work. I wouldn't do it.
1: Uh, I, I have enough stuff that I'm doing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so we we met at
1: Necronomicon. I think I bumped into you in. 15. I don't know that we really talked, but uh, I, I caught a couple of your panels and, you know, of course, came up and was like, hey, of course, you should probably come on because we do a thing. Uh, so how was Necro for you this year?
0: Well, it was really good, actually. I had a great old time. Um, you, you mentioned that, you uh, you mentioned 15, like 2015. fifteen. Uh, luckily, I've been to every one of them so far. And we're talking about the Necronomicon Providence that takes place in Providence yep. every other year. And the reason it's every other year is because this dar- this thing is so darn. I go to a lot of different conventions, a lot of writing cons, and I have a great old time to every one of them. But nothing has the scope of that convention. You've got live radio, you've got panels, you've got the game room, you've got the uh, the place where they're selling everything. In one ballroom, they've got scholarly presentation, actually PhD level. Uh, papers Mm -hmm. and there's there's just something for everybody there and that's one of the things i love about the con so i was there uh 13 2015 2017 and uh oh they made a mistake they let me moderate a couple of panels this time around yeah
1: (laughs) how many panels were you on i think i caught you on two and recorded at least one of them
0: i was actually asked to moderate two panels and i was just so fortunate because you know when you're the moderator I believe that the moderator should be seen and not heard questions. I had such a great cast you know, of panelists in both of my panels. One of them was horror and science fiction. All day with that, that one, just a lash up of horror and sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And I had such live wires. And once they start talking to each other, basically the moderator can, can go out for a cup of coffee and come back. Right. And they just ran with the ball writing non-stale mythos, so it was very Lovecraftian, but it was, you know, there's a lot that's been done here in the field, and how do you keep it fresh, and how do you contribute something new, and again, a great cast, a wonderful group of folks. One of them was at 9.30 on Saturday morning,
1: Oof.
0: ballroom, and I said, well, we're we're going to be, uh, we're going to have a, a little bit too much space here, more than we need, and I was just so happy. It's, it's classic Necronomicon. We had something like 50 people. It was fantastic.
1: Nice. Very cool.
0: Yeah, it was great. And of course, right. I bumped into you. You were walking around and talking about Legends of Tabletop to various people.
1: Yeah, you can't get me to shut up when I'm out, out and about.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I had a lot of fun talking to you. It was like we were at the Biltmore, if I remember, we, one of the times we talked. Mm-hmm being this very old, wonderful hotel in Providence, and they still have the old elevator, and it's right there in the lobby, and this beautiful staircase coming down from the old elevator, it's, this, it's a glass-enclosed elevator that at one point went outside the building, it doesn't work anymore, uh, but yeah, I remember you and I, were t- we chatted quite a bit at the bottom of the stairways there, that was one of the great things about Necronomicon, all the people you bump into.
1: -hmm and and it's nice because it's a smaller con so you you know you really can just sit and talk to people it's not like going to gen con or something like that where there's just you know tens of thousands of people it's like hey I've got you know <laughs> 10 minutes or like hey let's go grab a beer you know I mean we, we did exactly. the whole thing the crafting thing. I mean, it was, it was me and Vince and, and Leah and, you know, Pete like and Mike Davis and, you know, Ash Darrow was out with us and, you know, it's just like, we just, and a, you know, a conglomeration of people like, Oh, Hey, we're going down to Blake's. Oh, cool. I'll meet you there. I'm going to grab so-and-so and he'll come too, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly how it works out. And it's just some of the best times are the people that you just bump into while you're waiting for a, a panel to start, or you're waiting for, Like, uh, you know, the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society did live performances of their Dark Adventure Radio Theater. Mm -hmm. Um, They did a couple that I just have always loved, and it's just to watch them do that, because you can get the MP3, you can get the CD, but to have them doing it live on stage, that's where you really understand what a performance that is.
1: Yeah, it was really good. I saw... uh... I saw one of them. I don't remember which one it was now. Uh, Colorado Space? No? I don't remember what they did. Anyway, I, I went to one of yeah. them. <laughs> and it was good. Like, you know, they had scripts in front of them and everything. But, you know, d- just to have that level of, you know, self-awareness and stuff. to, to perform, And it was hot in there, down in the garden room, you know. And it was, it was later in the evening. So, it was already like a full day. And they were up there just tearing it up. It was, it was really cool.
0: I finally remembered the one that I saw. I saw Haunter of the Dark and it's one of my favorites. And of course they had to adapt it. So it was going to be longer than a short story
1: Right.
0: where they're looking at this awful, church with its terrible reputation and you got this one character who's he's talking about just what all these bad things that happened there. And it's not a good idea to go in there. And then finally one of them says, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, we're going in and he just says it with his eyes are huge and i walked up to him afterwards to congratulate him just on that presentation because the whole crowd just breaks up laughing at that point because it's a classic horror motif of here are all the reasons why we shouldn't do this
1: yeah right (laughs) it's funny i was listening to something the other day i don't remember it was a podcast. Uh, it yeah. might have been the Miskatonic University podcast, if I remember correctly. Um, and, and shout out to those guys; those guys are awesome. Uh, Chad gave yeah. us a huge shout out in episode one thirty two, one thirty three. So uh, absolutely, if, if you're not listening to them, I, I, I don't know what you're doing. I mean, if you're <laughs> if you're into it's a Lovecraft, if you're into the gaming aspect, Call of Cthulhu and stuff, should be listening to the Miskatonic University podcast. So we'll we'll throw that out. But I, I think it was absolutely. It was Chad maybe talking about, it, I think um, that that a lot of times that you know the, the Freddy, the the Jason, the the killer of of a film like that is really sort of the moral compass, right because the the kids are out drinking, having sex and doing drugs and stuff. I <laughs> never really thought about it like that. and it sounds like, wow, that's, that's really fucked up, but I guess it's kind of true.
0: Isn't it weird though? It's almost <laughs> like going back to some horrible ancient morality play where, hey, if you do this, the boogeyman's going to get you, so don't do it.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and as we were leaving, uh, I guess on on Sunday, um, you know, like any good pusher, you're like, you want a free book. And I'm like, oh, okay i guess so it was like take this book just you know let me know what you think it's like, god damn it so i read it so that was glory main and glory uh, I, it was one of the one of the couple that i tore through right after necronomicon it was it was a lot of fun it was good The last line was just, just like i guess i should have seen it coming and I, it's like ah, god, god, that's so good
0: <laughs> and you that i mean i won't say what it is of course but uh, yeah, it's just one of those things that as I was developing that scene, and it wasn't one of these, gee, I, I've got to have a line. What's the great line? What am I going to do here? Because I personally believe that so many of the great lines just kind of happen there. It's like, oh, I know exactly what he would say at that <laughs> yeah. at that moment. And he, it just sets things up so well for the rest of the series as well, because I've written the five the five books in the series, and they all came out with Collins. It's military science fiction. Of course, I'm, you're right. I'm the pusher at, at places like Necronomicon, so I'm walking around with these free copies of the very first one, and I'm in the shadows. And I'm like, hey, here, here. You want a taste? The first taste yes. is free. Here you go. And you were so great just on Facebook to say, yep, the pusher man got me, and I, I read the first one, and on
1: second one <laughs> yep i ordered it it's on, it's on my stuff i don't have i don't have like a stack of shame like i have a, a bookcase of shame because <laughs> <laughs> so, so it, it's on the bookcase of shame um and, and things have kind of settled down a little bit i, I just went back to um uh, a book edited by uh, brian sammons and pete rollick it's the legacy of the reanimator I believe it is. I, yeah. I picked it up at Necro. Yeah. I had Pete sign it for me. So I, I was diverted away. So now I'm back and I'm trying to finish it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> See, that's, that's one of the funniest things that's happening to me right now is I'm like you. I've got, I've got the to-be-read pile and then the larger to-be-read pile. end up reading like 3 e-books at once, which I, I really never used to do that. Mm-hmm. They're like three separate genres, and while I'm reading one of them, I just felt like reading something in a different genre. So I started reading that. He comes up to me and says, hey, this one here is really, really good, and and you get it, and you find out that they were right, and then the other two get shunted aside. And then it's awful because now it's sitting on the top of the to-be-read pile is basically, you know, you you started it, and now you're not doing it anymore, and it's kind of looking at you with, with reproach.
1: hmm Vince does that. Vince <laughs> will read two, three, four books at a time. And they're all, you know, some of them may be like, oh, uh, you know, uh, uh, something about writing a screenplay or you know, something like more technical. We kind of pick it up and put it down. I, I, I can't. I can't. Like, I, I mean, I guess I'll do it a little bit. Like, I'll be reading, you know, an RPG manual or I'll be, you know, trying to put together something for a game. So it's kind of. I won't read different novels together. I, I may right. mix in other things like, oh, shit, I have to get this thing ready. So I have to, like, delve into this, you know, book or manual or something. But I, can't, I don't know how you guys keep anything straight.
0: <laughs> well, it's tough. And, you know, the funny part is that you know, I was in the hospital. I actually had my, my appendix burst on me one night. So I was in the hospital, <laughs> and I was lucky in that I was just about to take a trip. So I actually had prepared a bag to go on the trip. This book in there that I had read years before, and it's a history book, I love reading history, of the Borgias. So this is the family in Renaissance Italy, and they've got this terrible reputation, and it's kind of hard to tell if they really deserve it or not. Uh, They were a rough bunch playing with a rough bunch of people. And you go and reading through this thing. So I'm reading it during my recuperation. And this is where you suddenly realize just how much that Nic- Niccolo Machiavelli, the role that he played, and I had forgotten that he was one of their contemporaries and that he had a lot to do. He, he, had a, he actually had a high opinion of Cesare Borgia. So this was the, the prince who was running rampant all over Italy. Right. And so, of course, Machiavelli's famous work is The Prince is on how you're supposed to behave is it better to be loved or feared and so I said I got to read that I got to read that and it's short well the thing is it, it's a text really it, yeah. it doesn't just read right through and I made the mistake I got a library copy and I tried to read right through and you just can't do that with that book and so what I did was I went and got my own paperback copy a, it's almost like I'm taking a course in Machiavelli at this point. So I'm sitting there my notebook. I'm writing down the page numbers. This is what he said here. I'm highlighting this. and I'm coming up with all these great quotations. But it's the only way to read it. And while I was reading that, then somebody handed me a novel. Nice little snackable lessons in the print. So I'm only like halfway through it with the marking up and the edits. But it'll, it'll be, it's like reading a textbook at this point. It'll be just fine when I go back to it.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's a few hundred years old. It'll probably keep for a couple more days.
0: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Other people, better minds than mine have explored this work. <laughs>
1: yeah. I have a copy floating around somewhere over there. <laughs> <laughs> did did you watch I think it was Stars did uh or it might have been Showtime did The Borgias. Did you did you catch that at all? I
0: did watch that when I when I got out of the hospital. I was really on a Borgias kick, so I watched that. And uh, it, it's a great cast. And the guy they got playing Cesare Borgia is just fantastic. Guy Irons plays the father of the Borgia clan, and he's the Pope. Mm-hmm. And everything that was going on there, the infighting, the simony, all the things that were going on here. And it, it's crazy. Did you, did you see the HBO series Rome?
1: Yeah, I actually I have it. I own it. I I, I was disappointed as as short that it was, but it, that was really that, good.
0: That was really good, and it's just so funny that you watch the Borges, this is Renaissance Italy timeframe, and you watch Rome, and it's essentially the same stuff. It's like, well, we're basically stabbing each other in the back for power, and yeah. uh, it's a it's a kill or be killed situation here. Yeah, the show time series the Borges. I enjoyed it. Um, I don't think it's terribly historically. Accurate.
1: Mm. Okay. That's
0: and a thing. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's Jeremy Irons. How far how far wrong can you go? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <And> the rest <laughs> of the cast They did a fine job of the casting.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah it was it was good I, I enjoyed that i i liked i i'm a history guy too uh like a half of one shelf is just all history and it's all it's ancient history it's medieval history it's you know yeah. current history it's you know warfare history stuff i find all that stuff really fascinating uh, and i'll switch back and forth like i'll read that and then i'll read a novel and then i'll read that and then you know maybe i'll read an rpg related book or whatever so i'm always trying to mix it up as much as I can. Cause there's only so much time in a day.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But you know, it's, it's that old thing that they say about reading it, it, that reading is basically lifting weights for the brain. And that if you have the exact same routine all the time, when you're lifting, you're going to have the exact same result. But if you change it up and you lift up and go up a different weight, you do a different exercise instead of regular sets. And it's going to just change everything up on you. And I think that that's one way to keep the mind sharp. To be honest with you, just trying different things. Yeah, for sure. In a different way. Well,
1: I it think it's boring, right? So, like, if if all you're reading is sci-fi, like after a while, as much as you love sci-fi, right, it gets kind of stale. I mean, <laughs> you got to mix it up a little bit.
0: And and I would say the same thing about, you know, the history nonfiction reading that I do is that every now and then you really do want to jump into, you really want to grab a John Grisham legal thriller or you want to grab um, some kind of a, a fiction work. Yeah. So
1: does that go for writing as well? Because you're you're across a couple of uh, of genres. So you have uh, Interlands is more of a you know weird fiction, you know horror uh, motif. You've got uh, the Simwar series, which is you know military sci fi, and then you're also a big mystery writer.
0: Yes, I was very fortunate. Um, some of the stuff that I've done basically followed the path of of trying to get published. <laughs> I mean, I had done everything. I, I've been at this a very long time. And uh, I've got my toe in the door. And that's a, about as much as you can say about it. But it's, it's such a, a gift to have gotten that that I'm very grateful for it. But, you know, I spent many, many years doing the three sample chapters and the, and the outline and the query letter and wasn't getting anywhere. So I started going the contest route. And this is back in 2004, 2005. All the writers out there. Uh, St. Martin's Press has a yearly competition called the Malice Domestic First Best Traditional Mystery Competition. It's very fair. You do have to write the whole book. It is a cozy mystery category, and all that means is it's more like Agatha Christie. It's not a lot of violence, not a lot of action, more brains than brawn. But the whole point is that You're guaranteed to have your work looked at because they have these wonderful judges who are volunteering their time but they're writers and editors and They go through this stack because there's a lot of people who compete for this and They pick the ones that they think should be finalists and kick them up to the editors at st. Martin's press and then Some years they don't pick a winner, but most of the years they do and I got lucky in 2005 and actually won the thing with my book murder in exile and that was a cozy, and it was about a down-on-his-luck down computer software developer who moves to the fictitious town of Exile, Florida, after he gets this ruinous bankruptcy when his software company failed. And he goes there, and his idea is he's been saddled with such debt that he's going to just do the bare minimum. He's going to put food on the table and a roof over his head, and sooner or later, his creditors are going to realize they're never going to get paid back, and he'll be able to get this <laughs> thing off. Yeah, behind it, and so I wanted to know what what can he do, and so I got the one of the things I really believe in is the Complete Idiots Guide books. They are so great, and they would just give you as much information as you need to get started on just about anything. And one of the best ones for me was the Complete Idiots Guide to Private Investigations. So I oh, read nice. this, and it's written by a private investigator. Found out about little things like. To be a private investigator, there's a lot you got to do, and frequently you got to be able to post a bond so that if you do something wrong, your client doesn't get sued. Mm. And so right in the middle of reading that, I'm like, wait a minute, but my guy is bankrupt. Post a bond so he can't be a PI, and I was going to make him a PI. So I kept digging, and right there in the book, it talked about all the people in the industry, like the background checkers. And there's a whole group of people who just go to court and pick up court documents that are important in an investigation. There's a lot of different jobs there where you don't have to be a PI. So that's where I turned my guy into is a fact checker. was Murder in 80s, and, Hazel, and that, that one won the competition, and there were four books in that series. That's how I ended up writing mystery. The funny part is, then I shifted into sci-fi for a while, Glory, Maine, and at this point, God bless them, decided to go with an, an unagented submissions window agent, and you had to have a completed book, and I submitted that, and they had a lot of submissions, and it took them a couple of years to get through it, and they did, and they picked a whole bunch of books there, a lot of have done very well, and I was fortunate that they picked Glory Main out of that pile. And then I ended up writing all five of the books in that series. So Glory Man is the first in the series and it is completed. So that is a completed series if anybody's interested and wants to make sure they're gonna read a series for so they don't have to wait for the next one. So the five books are done. Funny part about writing horror is that what got me into this was reading Stephen King's book, The Shining. Yeah. And I was just so impressed by the way that that guy created the Overlook Hotel and the Torrance family and that evil vibration from that building all on the printed page. And I said, I really want to try and write people. And so having read in sci fi, and I said, I never did write a horror. So, it's my first female protagonist here in Providence, Rhode Island, and she's searching the local forests for a obelisk for a very long time, and people don't even think it exists anymore, but it was once worshipped colonial area cult that died at its feet. And she thinks it's out there because she came across a picture of it from the 90s in her university, Interlands. So that's kind of how it started there, going from mystery to military and to horror. The question about, does that stretch your uh, a different way of thinking. For you, to believe that it's the same thing. The difference of writing full-length book stories, because I glean them. From the short stories, writing short stories is a great discipline.
1: Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna cut you off real quick. I, I don't know if it's if it's my bad connection or if, or if you're getting a little bit of a little bit of. They, might,
0: they have a technical problem here.
1: You're mm. you're in and out really bad. Okay, now you actually <laughs> sound okay, but. <laughs> Why don't we try that, and then I'll just, I'll
0: edit all of this. Of course. Of course, the moment that we decide to dump it, it goes better again.
1: Yeah, no, actually, you sound fine. So if you want to just plow through, we can, we can plow through. I'm
0: not going here, and you'll, you'll, that must have been rather humorous, though, because I get animated in my facial expressions while I'm talking, and you didn't have any volume, so uh
1: yeah, you, I could see your lips moving, and then it was coming out real slow, <laughs> like you were trying to very, you know, elucidate very clearly what your points were. And I could see you kind of. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you remember the twins back in the eighties? Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny oh, DeVito. Yeah. Yeah, yep. The point where Schwarzenegger goes to meet him for the first time, and DeVito's in jail. So they're looking at each other through the glass. DeVito is looking at him, and Schwarzenegger doesn't understand that he's supposed to use the phone. Hmm. Schwarzenegger is talking to him, and he's talking about how much he's how happy he is to see him and that they're brothers. And Danny DeVito is just looking at him like, saying, <laughs> oh, and he's pointing at the phone and finally gets him to pick it up. So I'm sure that was kind of what was going on here. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> Well,
1: so so I I will jump in on what you were starting to say. We we were kind of losing a little bit. Um, So as far as uh, writing in different in different genres, does your approach change? We you were touching on it a little bit, but we weren't really getting it. So does your approach change? Do you prefer one over the other? Um, Is there you know like just a different mindset to sit down and write in a particular? you know, frame of reference.
0: Well, I mean, I, I have to admit that when it was time to write horror, I actually went online and looked at a whole bunch of the articles about how to write horror. Hmm. Crazy, because I've read so much Stephen King and so many great horror stories. This, and I said, I really don't know how to do this. And so I actually looked it up. So I spent a lot of time with the very basics of, of what, what is horror, what are you trying to do, how do you do this, how do you do it in, in a way that isn't every other way. Um, mm-hmm. But other times, like the, the military sci-fi, that, I reread the book Armor by John Stakely in one of the great military sci-fi novels. The battle sequences are really good. One of the things about Stakeley is he just jumps right in. Mm-hmm. He just jumps right in. And so that's what I decided to do with Glory, Main. So that's how it starts, you know, that the lieutenant awoke to darkness but was too much of a newbie to know that was wrong. Right. Typical (laughs) lieutenant. Well, speaking of someone who was a lieutenant at one point. (laughs) There are things you don't know, and (laughs) you need to learn fast. But luckily, that's where NCOs come in. And then they teach you, and, and you learn fast, and, and you better listen.
1: Mm-hmm. The good ones do. So I'm sure you did.
0: <laughs> I like to think so. They, they told me that I did so. <laughs> so there it is. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> good. So, when, when did you? You said you've been writing for a long time. When, when, did, you, uh, when did you first start writing?
0: Well, th- this will make you laugh. I actually wrote my first novel in high school. So I actually oh, wow. finished a complete novel. It, it was what you'd expect of a first novel. <laughs> um, but the funniest part about it was it was the late 70s and the early 80s. A lot of terrorism going on back then. And so where well, you had you know, you get your FBI, you get your CIA. Well, I created this whole other agency, and they were basically the terrorist killers hunting these folks down and getting rid of them and it was a slam bang action adventure kind of thing from that time frame so a couple of my west point classmates had read it while we were in school and so when the war on terror starts for 20 years later he says man if you could have got that book published yeah they said it would have been hailed as a visionary or burned as a witch. <laughs> right, right. It was, basically, it was like predicting the war on terror. So Unfortunately, it didn't see the light of day, but uh, it didn't see the light of day. Right. Because it, was a, it was a first novel. <laughs>
1: Doug, Doug Wynn had a similar story. He was like, yeah, I wrote something in, in high school, and I, I'm afraid to take it out of the attic to look at it to see, you know, what it, what it reads like now.
0: You know, that's, that's a tough thing to think about, though. Is I've, I've heard some really big-time authors talk about how they don't reread their own stuff it and, and say, gee, here's how I'd write that now. So I, I've heard that about some people. So maybe it's not a good idea to go back and reread your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> See, I
1: I have to re listen to the podcast, so I, I don't I don't get a choice because I have to edit everything. <laughs> but I'm sure, I'm, you're
0: kind of yeah, stuck.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm sure people. I mean, I guess that's a legitimate thing, right? Like, you know, you 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 do it and you and you put it out to the ether, and you you know, it kind of goes on its way, and you don't. You know, look back. I mean, I I could I get that mindset, I guess, to a certain extent. Um, I you know, like for me, and I I don't write, so I I mean, whatever. I don't have no skin in the game. But I I I think, like, so from a podcasting perspective, I listen because I like I have to. But then I you know hear sing hear things and see things and can change things. Like to me, it makes for a better podcast down the road because i have to listen to it and, and you would think that writing would be you know similar right so if you you know wrote something at 20 and wrote something at 30 and you go back and read that and it's, okay i see what i did wrong you know I, I had an idea i wrote it i did it and now with more understanding and greater skill hopefully you know you go back and look at oh i see the errors and it, it makes you better you know
0: yeah and i was gonna say something similar that you know hopefully it, that. So the, the last thing you wrote was the best thing you wrote. You, you kind of hope that that's the case But at the same time, um, it's like uh, again Stephen King uh, his novella the long walk that and The best things he ever wrote and it's my understanding. It's one of the first things that he wrote and he somehow captured all the pain of walking very long distances moving very quickly Mm -hmm. and his description of what those competitors in that awful society where toward the end they're basically zombies because they've been walking nonstop for 72 hours right and his description of that you know because I was, in the, I was in the infantry. I was in the walk-in side of the Army, and I also did this thing called Ranger School. And uh, the U.S. Army Ranger School is a really t- tough course. A lot of food deprivation, and you're carrying this big rucksack around, and you had these very nice graders who were giving me a hard time the entire way. And so when I read the long walk, I was like, "Did he get into that mindset <laughs> without having experienced something like Ranger?" Right. And I guess that's the sign of a really great writer. He doesn't have to have to just envision it and describe it. Right.
1: Right. It, it, it's interesting. Well, I mean, I guess so. Right. So, like you said, when you started writing for horror, um, you know began to research, you know, what, what is the essence of horror and how do I, you know, kind of craft, you know, a story around that. Um, and, you know, and I guess even for someone like him, who's been writing forever, you know, you, you talk to people, you do research, you bring in, Hey, let me call. I know this guy was in the army. Well, hey, tell me what it was like, you know, what, what was a day like for you? Um, you know, cause it, you know, I get a lot of people think, or maybe not, I don't know, I'm speculating. Uh, right. you, you know, you just sit down and you write something, right? And then you rewrite it, you edit it or whatever. But, you know, there's a lot, and I guess depending on the, the material, tons of research that has to go in on the front end for you to be able to put pen to paper.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I go to a lot of the conferences and I like to talk to the other writers and I ask them little things like, kind of a division is that you got the people who are into writing outlines before they write the book and then you get the people who are, they call them pantsers because it's basically seat of the pants writing. Is that mm-hmm. they sit down and they write. So another group, basically they're seat of the pantsers, but once they get like half of the book written, they go back, they write the outline so they can keep it straight. Mm. Like to ask people if they write outlines or not, in my experience, it's been about 50-50. So you got a lot of people out there who actually do just sit down and write this thing, <laughs> which I find very impressive. I'm more of an outliner. Um, I'm not as big an to be. The caveat right. about the outlining is at a time, you, you've got to be cognizant of the point where the story has departed from the outline. Right. And once it departs, we've got to let it and just run with it. Because that's where the creativity is taking over.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, I've heard this before. You know, you have an outline and you you know kind of have an idea of, you know, what a character's personality is and what they're going to do and, you know, kind of how their story's going to unfold. And then those characters are like, no, oh, wait a minute, bub. This is what I want to do. And then the characters start to kind of take over the story and and, and almost write their own story at that point
0: you know i've had that experience and i've also heard one very very famous best-selling novelist got up in front of a bunch of us and poo-pooed the idea that the characters tell this individual how to write which i thought was a bit of a, a buzzkill to be honest with you hmm. at any rate it has happened to me where this character was supposed to walk in, put the groceries down, and walk out, and it they just wouldn't do it. And they put the the groceries down, and gave you the best funniest line of the book, and it just came out, or they tripped over the piece of it, didn't know the reader, and it's just one of those things that you know, as you mentioned, it's you, you got to run with. You got to let them do it. You got to recognize that subconscious or your inspiration or where these things come from, but you just got to recognize it. You got to run with it.
1: Right. Now, you know, like in gaming, you know, when you're playing a character and you come up with a backstory and all this kind of stuff, I, I feel like that, you know, each one of those characters has a little bit a little piece of yourself you're you're playing some aspect of yourself or maybe uh you know you you know obviously we're not fighters and clerics whatever but you know that the that you know sort of mindset behind it or whatever do you feel like writing your characters is also sort of a translation of little bits and pieces of yourself is every character some form of you
0: yeah that's that's fun it's a fun thing to explore because in addition to you, you could make it a bit of yourself you can also make it a better version of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> For example, Tenant, who's the main character of the Simwar books. You know, he's comes from this rich family, and it's just kind of fun to try and put yourself in that in those shoes. Um, I do try to avoid putting too much of myself into any of these things. I forget who said it, but somebody said, Tells the story and a bad one tells his own story I try to <laughs> stay with that. But at the same time so many of my characters of other people that I met along the way Is, is particularly in the Sim war novels because I was in the army for nine years I was in you know airborne ranger infantry um, I, I encountered so many great people and got to work with such great people. And yet there were so many funny little choices that we used to capture that and put it into the books as well. So every now I remember who you used to say that I, I know who that is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, I was going to ask you that, um, you know, while you were writing, you know, the sim wars, cause you, you know, you had the ranger training, all that stuff. You know, how many of your, of your experience made it into the series? You know, whether it was, you know, uh, guys that you were, you know, that you work with or, you know, just, you know, things that happened while you were, you know, stationed was that, I mean, I assume that was a, a big inspiration or a big draw uh, pool that you could draw from as you were writing
0: oh unquestionably now i mean i want to start off with the fact that i never actually went to the war you know, i was like 9 years active duty and never went to the war so i like to point that out because we have so many wonderful people arms way wearing the uniform and i like to point that out um it also it kind of helps with my writing chops because i am actually imagining every bit of this it's all complete right. fiction i'm just making it up so i, so I do take credit for that <laughs> um That my experience came it helped me with was when you had the two each other. you spend so much time around the troops under these circumstances where you're in the woods it's raining out it's dark out it's cold out and the humor that these folks have and it's across the boards in in the military in my opinion everybody i worked with had had some version of this humor and part of it's a dark humor and part of it's a gallows humor But so much of it is very, very funny. And that was one of the things I tried to capture and pull into those characters. A a point in the second book, and I'm not giving anything away, but it's that they have an emergency. Avert this one unit that was about to be sent to a planet that's all jungle. Issued jungle fatigues so quickly that they didn't get the chance to change their uniforms. And so they end up on a planet where it doesn't work very well. And they encounter this engineer officer who's out there near the front line who is surveying the area. And he's talking to them and suddenly realizes, because their uniforms are dirty now, he didn't realize that they were wearing completely wrong camouflage. (laughs) And And he looks at them and he goes, oh my God, they brought you from some jungle planet I knew we were screwed, but I didn't know how badly we were screwed. (laughs) That's actually an homage to my dad's World War II experience. Vision was in Fort Lewis, Washington. So they're in the Northwest. They were going to be sent to fight in the Pacific. And the Battle of the Bulge occurred in Europe. And it was such a surprise and such a shock. They actually took that whole division from Fort Lewis, Washington, put them on the trains across America to New Jersey. They put them on the ships and sent them across the Atlantic. So this group that was supposed to fight in the Pacific ends up in Europe, fighting at the end of the war in the war in Europe. And they had changed out some of their gear for island fighting. So here they are tramping across Germany, and they've got canvas slings instead of leather slings because leather rots in the jungle and they got these special boots and people looking at them funny. Like, it's like where did these guys come from? <laughs> we were supposed to be on the other side of the world. Actually. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was kind of an homage to my dad's experience.
1: Cool. That's very cool. Uh, that's yeah. neat. That you're able to do that.
0: Yeah, it is fun. Yeah.
1: Uh, did, um, so I, we don't delve too much into politics or anything, but, you know, in, in reading the book, uh, you know one of the, one of the takeaways that I that I got out of it, you know, especially in our political climate being what it is, is that the Sims are like us. Right? There, there's there's something off. It's not quite the same. I mean, is that an intentional thing going in where you you know trying to make a statement of like, hey, yes, we're you know we're in this war, that, you know, this all encompassing universal thing. They're going to try to wipe us out, but but they're us. It's the same. We're the same. Ish. I mean, they're not the same, but you know, they're very similar.
0: Right. Right. And of that, course, you, you bring up that they're called the Sims, and they call them the Sims for a reason. It means similar or facsimile. That across the galaxy, we encountered these aliens that were humanoid. They're incredibly humanoid to the point that fiction That they are unhuman because, like us, we can't speak, and so the inner enemy. And I really wanted to play with this idea, see with their mannerisms how human they were. And then it was almost like uh, Ellen Ripley in The Alien Sea, at one point she's talking to the horrible corporate people. And she says about the aliens that I can say, I don't see them messing each other over for a percentage. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's definitely a theme in, in the books is that there are things in me that even though we can't talk to them and just, um, well, the, yeah. our, the book respect because they show loyalty to each other. And as you know, from the first book uh, in the human defense force, uh, loyalty is it's a commodity that's hard to come by.
1: Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I guess that's too true. Um yeah. I mean, <laughs> it is what it is, I guess. Right? I <laughs> get too far field.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, but to, to address that, I also didn't make it uniform, so that you've got these are the units that are units that are really got really good cohesion. They are loyal to each other. They're they're reliable. In the first book. Glory Main you've got the four characters who don't know each other at the beginning of the book to a survival situation learn learn how to get along and they don't get along at first so that's another one of the lessons there is that even if you don't get along you have to learn
1: yeah 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 no it's and that's that's definitely cool i it's I, you know i find it interesting that so maybe so so let's spin this out since we're already, we're on this tick already um, you know with things that are going on in, in in Hollywood and whatever with you know all these allegations of uh, you know all these guys you know groping and and doing all these sorts of things um, and I, maybe this is a fair to ask this question I don't put you on the spot um, but but we have uh, you know a, a touchstone in this in our you know, a little community with Lovecraft and his racism and stuff. And, and we've discussed that before. Um, is it, is it f- fair to separate someone from their art? You know, can you enjoy the art and, you know, separate, you know, this is a horrible human being for whatever reason, but damn, this story is good. Like, what is there a, is there a blurry line? Like I, where did I, I just, we're kind of on this tack, so I figured I'd just go this way.
0: <laughs> no, I understand what you're talking about. it's like, is, is, life, is life either or gray? Um, obviously, when we're talking about the scandals that are happening right now, so far out of bounds, and they're just so wrong with what they were doing that I think everybody can agree that that was just plain wrong. Right. But to come back to the fact that history, I think this is one of the big advantages to reading history. So obvious that everybody is a composite. And I'm not excusing anybody who's done anything bad. That the image that some of us were taught in elementary school about, well, this character in history was a perfect human being, she was not. And one of the things that comes out of history is that nobody's perfect, people are flawed, worse than others. And then there are some very, very bad people, and you're not going to excuse them for their behavior. Um, so we've got a spectrum here, and every one of us has has keep on talking to each other, we're going to be all right. Like in my, in my Simwar books, they have, say, and how is from the war zone. In
1: and in prison. Oh, we missed the whole last. We missed the whole last bit. <laughs> oh. Oh, <it> was... <laughs> no, I'm just rambling. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, well, all right. Let's 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 steer the ship back in into... the. <laughs> all
0: right. <laughs> Maybe- You and I aren't equipped to (laughs) have (laughs) it.
1: You had mentioned earlier in in Interlands, you'd done your first female character, Angie Morse. How much, how much pressure did you put on yourself? How much external pressure was there for you to be able to get that right? You know, to, to, as a middle-aged white guy, to be able to, to do that character justice.
0: Right, right. Uh, The beauty of it is I didn't feel any external pressure I have a a whole group of beta readers and they're tough. I mean, they they will not just tell me, Oh man, what you wrote was beautiful. This doesn't do it. You know, you missed. Um, So I didn't feel any pressure in that regard, but I did want to show it to a, a predominantly the female members of my beta audience to make sure that I wasn't just so completely out of bounds, so completely wrong that it was embarrassing. And it was never a case of, oh, you nailed it. You did it just fine. But it was, I thought it was, it, it, I thought I had done well when it was this main character as a male. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was a compliment. And it was at least that they identified Angie as being a female main character. And, you know, people identify with her. She's tough, she's strong. She's striving for something. A lot of people think that she's wasting her time. Those are things that a lot of us, no matter what your gender, a lot of us encounter in this world and people you know, telling you that you're wasting your time. And she just knows the thing is out there and she is going to find it. And she's really going to put in the time to that well, that, that toughness and that commitment that she puts into it. Mm-hmm.
1: Now was it was it so since it's a a Lovecraftian style book was it important for you to make the protagonist a female because of the long history of you know especially with Lovecraft himself we have male white male protagonists so it was was that a thought going into it or was it just that the story sort of you know maybe lent itself or or had more of a feel for a female lead
0: you know it was a very Funny decision there. And I can't honestly say if if I felt that it had, that it felt better to make it as a female protagonist. But when I was coming up with the storyline, I actually had not given thought to the fact that there's just not any strong female characters at all, that until I was halfway along here. And it was just, I think also because I was moving into horror it was a different genre i was starting very much with the basics i think i was more willing to just kind of own personal writing because all my main characters had been male and i said wait let's go ahead and try this and see
1: and and that's fair right i mean we're middle-aged white guys like you write what you know i mean you you have a touchstone in yourself (laughs) to be able to be like oh i would i would totally say this or whatever you know
0: exactly Exactly, and, then, and I think that's also a, a way to grow as a writer, is to try and envision. I think that the, something that the actors talk about, is, you know, inhabiting the skin of a completely different person. said than done. I'm not sure that I'm, I'm any good at it, but I do know that I've, I've written characters that people seem to relate to, and they enjoy them, and they enjoy the adventure with them.
1: Right, okay. Okay. Um. What, uh, so staying on weird fiction a little bit, um, shit, I just lost my question. Damn it.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, there's going to be so much editing. Um, <laughs> uh, you, you know, I, so the panel that we recorded was, was the writing non-stale mythos. Um, have we moved past, you know, we need to have tentacles, have a Lovecraftian story at this point, I mean, are we, you know, more of a, of a, of a, um, uh, I can't think of the word that I want to use. Um, uh, more like a mood for, for a Lovecraftian. I mean, you know, cause now we have like just on TV and, and movies have like get out, which is, you know, Lovecraftian vibe feel to it. You know, like the first season of true detective, which was good for about, three quarters and then it was like oh shit we have to end this season in two episodes come on guys like (laughs) so so are we moving you know more into like themes of of like weirdness than you know monsters and Uh oh you're completely silent i see your lips moving (laughs)
0: I mean, I understand the question, and that was definitely a question that was and of course, job of answering it than I can, but I'm trying to remember some of the. We're back to this.
1: Yeah, you know, I think it was just super light because you, you started answering.
0: <laughs> oh, boy. Am I coming through?
1: Now you are. Yep.
0: <laughs> uh, but to, to come back. I mean now.
1: <laughs> you you're still in and out. To come back
0: bit. to the question here. Okay. Um, yeah, it, one of the things that the panelists mentioned was that each of just throwing tentacles into a story and then calling it lovecraft. Oh. Yep. You know, th- this is so funny because of our experiment trying to do this using my my antiquated PC. So, it's the curse of the technology.
1: I guess that's what y'all it up to. <laughs> uh, well, you sound okay now, so if you want to continue.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I, I will warn you that I'm getting. I'm actually, my battery is starting to run out here. Oh. <laughs> I just noticed this. <laughs> Okay. So All right. We we've answered that question too. Is that it does burn up the battery pretty good.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, so we we, <laughs> we can wrap here um, if if you like. I, do you have anything that that's coming up? Anything you're working on? Anything we have to look forward to in the next couple of months? Uh, looking into next year.
0: Actually, I, I did get lucky in that uh, short story adapted by Lovecraftiana magazine. And it is a takeoff on Pikmin's model. It's going to come out. Oh no! So I, I've got a uh, I've got a short story in magazine in May. Pikman's that's, that's the next big thing.
1: Okay, that's cool.
0: Yeah, so that's the next big thing. All
1: right, um, I I don't want to cut you short, but uh, if if your batteries, they uh, they may be contributing to our our lag. Yeah, I think and things. that might be it yeah,
0: yeah. So
1: we can definitely do this again because I'm, I'm having a great time and and I, and I feel bad right. for kind of like I feel like we're cutting short a little bit but uh, I want to thank you for coming on I uh, thank you for your service um which I probably should have done at the top but we'll do it at the bottom <laughs>
0: it works on no matter what it'll work right
1: <laughs> um I, there's links in the show notes for Can't thank
0: you enough for inviting me
1: yeah, no, absolutely. Um, we'll we'll have to we'll have to make sure your phone is fully charged next time and <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a comedy of errors.
1: <laughs> right, right. Ah, maybe I won't edit. Maybe I'll just leave all the stuff in.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll entitle this one Incoherency. <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: But but definitely thanks for coming on. I, I I appreciate it. It was it was cool to get a chance to to hang out with you at Necronomicon and uh you know I'm looking forward to to, to 2019. We'll definitely have to go out and uh, and grab a beer because we did not do that while we were there. So uh first round's on me. All right. Sounds good. Awesome. All right. Thank you, sir.
0: Thank you, sir. Bye-bye.
1: All right. We'll see ya. All right. I want to thank everybody for checking this out. Uh, don't forget to hit the the like, the subscribe. Uh, you know, if you could leave us a, a rating or a review on iTunes or whatever your podcatcher of choices, that's infinitely helpful. Uh, if you enjoyed our our chat with Vincent uh, and and you've read his books before, also uh, reviews on Amazon and things like that for for our content creators, our authors, and game designers and all that stuff that. Goes miles and miles to, uh, you know, getting them higher up in the algorithm. So, uh, you know, do all the likes and subscribes for everybody that you see on the show. Uh, that, that goes definitely a long way. Uh, hit the website. The, check out the link for the coffee. The coffee's good. That's what I was finishing up earlier today. It's a, it's a fantastic blend, a legendary brew by uh, Legend's own Neil. Uh, runner of, of your favorite Fear Itself game and Rogue Trader. Uh, but thanks everybody for checking us out and uh, we'll catch you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. For more gaming related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.